Coming to you from the heart of the Great White North. Welcome to the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Immerse yourself in the world of preparedness with insights from seasoned experts and a touch of Canadian practicality. Your go-to source for all things survival, resilience, and self-reliance. Now, let's kick off another episode packed with knowledge and strategies to ensure you're ready for whatever life may throw your way. Stay tuned and let the journey to preparedness begin. Welcome to episode number 228 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording January the 28th, 2024. My name's Eric, host of the show, based in Southern Ontario. It's a first responder, witness an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm a homesteader on Vancouver Island. I'm Scott, a first responder from Northern Ontario, worried about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff from Central Ontario, my target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. And we've got the Altons this evening. Hello. Hi. Well, Hi. I, I was waiting for them to introduce me. I'm like, okay. not part of the All regular right. crew well, we, here. We should, <laughs> we should say who we are. Let's introduce ourselves. Uh, Go ahead. Canadian, Canadian Prepper Podcast style. Uh, I'm Joe Alton, MD. I'm a, a physician, a medical preparedness advocate and uh, co-author of uh, the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Help Is Not On The Way. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And I love to garden and grow as much herbal medicine as we can in sunny, hot South Florida. And you're a designer of uh, oh yes, <laughs> of, of an entire line of medical kits over at store.doomandbloom.net. Yes. Awesome. Well, welcome back to the show. It's always an honor to have you uh, you both uh, attend the show and, and chat with us and share your knowledge. So we're, we're happy to have you back again. Well, it's great to be here. Thank and you. we really uh, appreciate all the things that you do for uh, for Canadian preppers. I mean, we just don't have uh, the, the, the kind of commitment, I think, here, uh, in, in at least in the States, that uh, you guys have to, uh, to really being prepared. Uh, I guess because of our milder climate, that, perhaps. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> right, right. You guys have to live in much harsher yes. living conditions. Yes, we're, so we're suffering here in <laughs> Florida at 60 degrees. So, you know, you guys, enough. rugged, a rugged survivalist to us. That's yeah, a little bit of snow here right now, but uh, we'll survive. Good. But, uh, we'll start. We'll start things out here with a quick disclaimer. Um, any and all information put forth by uh, Dr. Joe and uh, Nurse Practitioner Alton are meant for educational and entertainment purposes only, and do not represent uh, medical advice. Please seek standard and modern medical care whenever and wherever it is available. All right, and if you want to help support the show, you can embrace our new intro and buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Pepper Podcast T-shirt as probably displayed by myself, and the Tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All the proceeds help cover the podcast costs. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and submit a review wherever you may have found us. We also invite you to reach out and tell us something you learned this week or anything you want to see on the show. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, medically focused content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some recent news articles. We'll update you on our personal preps. We're going to get into the main topic. We're getting into assembling and maintaining a basic first aid kit. Cool. Moving to the news. 
All right. I actually breezed over this article right off the bat, but then I, re- I came back to it. and I was like, wait a minute, this is perfect for the show here, actually. So a, a passenger in a helicopter crash here in northern BC actually uh, used a radio call uh, to call for help after the crash. Um, crash was one thing, but the more important thing about this story is they were all dressed for the weather. So the people that did survive the crash had to spend the night outside. They used their radio skills to call for help. And most importantly, they had for access to a first aid kit and performed first aid. So nice. it worked out very well. So, yeah, they still had a few people die, unfortunately, in the crash, which was uh, a horrible thing. But still, I mean, the people that survived probably wouldn't have if they hadn't have been a little bit uh, prepared ahead of time. So good for them. So I left the, the link in the show notes. I think Eric's going to post it up on the chat there. And the other one that actually was kind of relevant to the show tonight uh, in northern Ontario, just about three hours north of where Eric lives, um, there is actually a problem with a lack of medical staff, uh, mostly doctors, of course. Uh, so it's so bad to the point where they have 10,000 patients that are losing access to primary care, so they will not have a family doctor as of next week. And they just mm-hmm. basically said, so, so sorry, nobody's available, you're on your own. So <laughs> this, this episode might come in handy after all for them. Is that a rural area? Uh, no, it's actually, it's a good sized city for Northern Ontario, but it is still by American standards small, but it's still, it's, it's a very large area that they cover and uh, touches on Scott's kind of neck of the woods, but not quite. It's, We're having the same thing, uh, the same thing going on here, except it's mostly in our rural areas are really having trouble finding physicians to uh, staff smaller towns and, and it, it's become quite a problem. Yeah. Well, the, the issue we're seeing is there's all sorts of patients that don't have that primary healthcare access. So all of a sudden their fallback is to go to the emergency room. And for us, it's, you know, a 12 hour wait in the emergency room is quite typical. Wow. Terrifying, well, that, but typical. That That's absolutely scary. And, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that you have to triage people and there are a lot of people that can come in after you, even though you're wait, you've been waiting there hours, they really need to be seen first and dealt with first. And you so, just keep getting I mean, put back just further and further. Put further yep. and further back, depending mm-hmm. on what your problem is. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I have. I've got a quick little one. Um, before I go any further on it, I'm just going to say we're not getting political about this, not taking any sides on it, saying who's right, who's wrong, whatever. Um, there is a uh, trucker's convoy that's going to happen in the U.S., uh, starting, I believe, tomorrow and ending February 3rd. It's um, basically something similar to what we had up here in, in Canada with the COVID stuff. It's to do with the, the border issues. Uh, I'm just bringing it forward more for situational awareness for everybody. Um, they're going to uh, do their little convoy, and then they're going to uh, end up at three uh, places when they're done. So they're going to be at Eagle Pass where everything is going on. Uh, they're going to be in Yuma, Arizona, and San Cerrito. I hope I pronounced that correctly in California. So who knows what's going to happen out of it. Could become like our protest that it started as nothing and ballooned, or it could be a big thing and fizzle out to nothing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of what I'm getting at again is the situa- situational awareness, possible supply chain issues. If the borders are stopped. You know, in Canada, we get a lot of our fruits and vegetables in the winter from Mexico. And if stuff can't get across the border, I mean, it's not going to happen right away, but we could start to see some supply chain issues. So just keep that in mind and pay attention a little bit. Yeah, we're very spoiled. We wind up, uh, you know, you, you can be in British Columbia and, and get bananas, 
So, you know, you know that they're not coming from there. So, we're really, we're really have been swelled and uh, really blessed by the, how well, how well the supply chain actually works in most cases. Well, I think when all of us were younger, I mean, I'm not sure how old everybody is, but I know in the seventies and the eighties, like if something wasn't in season, it wasn't in the store. Like you had to wait to buy watermelon, you know, in the fall in corn. I mean, you weren't getting these things all year round. You would go to the grocery store and whatever was in season was what's in the fruit and vegetable section. I mean, I guess there was some things that they got supplied all the time, but most of it was, you know, did they just pick it? You, ate, you know, are the apples ready? And now they're going to be in the store. You ate seasonally and, yeah. and regionally. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't get asparagus year round. Yeah. They're going back to that now. So it's more environmentally friendly anyways, I guess. You know, so yeah, it's kind of a, a bit full circle on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Darn. I like my asparagus year round. <laughs> I can't right. grow so, shall we move? We've done lately for preps. Uh, so rather timely, I've actually been playing with a couple of first aid kits for uh, the car and house. Uh, I've decided rather than having kind of mismatched ones everywhere, I want uh, identical ones in the vehicles and one at home so you can swap them out. And when you're looking for something, it's always in exactly the same place. So basically just a couple of large uh, sort of IFAC kits uh, and then some of the stuck in the car comfort items, uh, sort of mylar sleeping bags and blankets and uh, calories and candles and such. So it seems timely given the show. Very nice. Uh, I did a little bit of vehicle maintenance, had a couple of small issues with the truck, nothing big, got them fixed. Uh, considering that uh, we are above freezing here in central Ontario and there's no snow and I can't get out of my snowmobile. I had needed something to do. So I've been doing some more experimenting with my pressure canner, trying to uh, get my comfort level up with, uh, with using that. So I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about it. Still have a bit to go, but I, uh, I'm feeling a lot more confident about myself on that one. Very nice. Uh, for myself, it's been a week full of uh, working and uh, a house full of sick kids and a sick wife. So uh, no preps for me this week. It's just oh, been no. uh, looking after them when I've had the chance and work, work, and a little bit more work. Sounds fun. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, thanks to the warm weather, I was talking with Dr. Alton about before the show. Uh, we've had what they call a pineapple express roll into town. I think they used to call it pineapple express. Now it's offensive to pineapples or something. So now they call it an atmospheric <laughs> river. Um <laughs> Anyways, and so with that heavy rain, uh, or with the warm weather, we get the heavy rain. So unfortunately, I can't do much outside. It's uh, it's pretty monsoony. So inside, I've been working on uh, refinishing the rifle stock that I had on an antique Nauser. Uh, did some programming on a couple of UV-17s that showed up in the mail. Um, yeah, much much more improved version of the UV-5R. Uh, see here, I did do some chirp programming on that. And uh, backed up some computer files on the brand new backup hard drive. Uh, well, my daughter was farm sitting for us last week when we were doing our little trip to the States. Uh, she ate all my band-aids, it seems. <laughs> I, I honestly legit yeah. think she took some home with her. And then she also used a bunch too. And so actually I was like, I think I actually need to go out and get band-aids of all things. I don't know what for, but anyways. Um, so yeah, I had to do that. Um, finished some shed shelving inside the hay shed just because it was like sheltered and I could work in there. 
uh, Milo Epsom Rice. Uh, and then the interesting thing was I actually got to go to uh, a meet and greet with like some like-minded people. So that was pretty fun. Oh, yay. Oh, fun. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's not uh, often I get to do that. Uh, a, because I have to go out and people and interact and, you know, it's just not me. But uh, also... <laughs> The fact is that they were yeah, it was like you knew ahead of time that when you went there they were all like minded and so there's two hundred of us or thereabouts and wow. Uh, wow. it was it was a really wow. good meetup it was it was well done, um, but then they had to run to Vancouver for that so it was kind of ate up a bit of time and then um, just one last thing I just did that little roof over my propane tanks that cover our, our gas range and stuff so they they wouldn't rust up on me and that's uh, pretty much it. Very nice. well, we received a, a box of. Uh, antibiotics fish fish antibiotics probably the last uh, that we'll receive ever and uh, maybe if we have time we can talk about that later sounds like a plan oh with that we will uh, move into the main topic so like we mentioned at the beginning we've got uh, dr alton and uh, nurse amy here uh, to talk about first aid kits and kind of just building a basic kit kind of getting what you need into a kit and just answering some general questions about uh, first aid kits and maybe we'll get into a little bit of training if we've got some time and then we'll talk touch on the uh, antibiotics as well okay so we'll kick off with uh, the first question of just what are the essential items that uh, should be included in a first aid kit um, we'll just go with home use for now um well of course we're not talking about someone who's got a hand cut off or a severe broken leg or anything, you know, gunshot related, just basic run of the mill home, little injury. So I would start off with gloves because anytime you touch something that is open, you want to make sure that you have gloves on. And I think uh, one of your questions later is what kind, but go ahead and mention, we always put nitrile hypoallergenic because you don't know who you're touching sometimes, I guess at home, but you know, you could have, kids friends over or your friends over and you don't know that they have an allergy so just keep the hypoallergenic gloves it's not a bad idea um gauze and band-aids ian was just talking about the loss of band-aids you know <laughs> that's one of the common things you know we get in the kitchen we start cooking and we don't pay attention to what we're cutting and what do we do you know fingers and actually i personally keep the band-aids in with the knives and the forks <laughs> because then just I then simple. they're just right there. I know they're there. Um, I also not a home kit that I'm mentioning, but personally, I put a little uh, hemostatic gauze in there too, just in case it's a little deep and I need to put something on there, you know, just to make sure it stops bleeding. Um, so various sizes of gauze. Um, you can do sterile for after you clean it, and the non-sterile is good for um, just pressure because most bleeding stops with just pressure. I don't. I'm not sure everyone understands that you don't need these hemostatic gauze for 80, not 90% of wounds just stop with pressure because your body wants to clot. You know, you just give it a chance with some pressure, your body will stop the bleeding. Some tapes, again, various types. Uh, there's elasticon, which is stretchy. Uh, there's paper tape, uh, elastic tape. Again, if you have someone with allergies, make sure it's hypoallergenic. Uh, ACE bandages are good. Triangular bandages. Um, soap. I know most people don't think of soap and obviously in your house, you will have soap, but you want to wash your hands before you put the gloves on. And also when you're cleaning up a wound, it doesn't have to be some special kind of thing. Just soap and water cleans up a wound. Just scrub it really well with some of that non-sterile gauze. If it seems to have any kind of debris, of course, it'd be helpful to have some bandage scissors to cut the tape, to cut the gauze, um, to cut up the triangular bandage if you need it or the ACE bandage. Um, antibiotic cream. So after you've cleaned up the wound, you want to put a little 
cream on it because maybe it was a little dirty, the utensil you use to cut yourself. Um, antibiotic creams, if somebody's again allergic, make sure that you have an alternative for them of one that they're not sensitive to. Analgesics are good. Uh, Tylenol. Don't give aspirin to anyone under age 19. Um, ibuprofen's good. I think um, wa hot water bottles, the old-fashioned red ones, the real thick ones, you know, we all think heating pads for heating injuries, but if we don't have electricity, I have one of those thick red hot water bottles and or bags. They're really good. An ice bag also, same thing. You have heat and cold, um, good for a lot of issues. Uh, instruments. Now you want to think about, again, bandage scissors, tweezers, maybe a, a hemostat so you can, you know, pick things out if you need to. Um, these are just some basic things. Um, again, not getting into any trauma. Supplies. I would say also, I would add, add to that uh, some shake and break uh, ice packs. Uh, I think you mentioned. Uh, I did ice at an ice bag, but again, I guess if you don't have ice, but they have snow. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's not, not, all, not all year round, not all year round. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, shake and break uh, those instant ice packs. They don't get obviously get as cold as if you put ice and water in an ice bag. And, and actually, that's the better thing to do. You you don't want to put ice directly on a wound. So water and ice and then put like a washcloth may be too thick, but at least some gauze in between it because some if you directly put ice onto skin, it could actually, you know, do a cold burn. So you can actually, you know, add more injury to it. So for our ice bags or, you know, if I just use a Ziploc bag, plastic bag, I always mix water and ice, and then I have a barrier between it. So make sure you protect the skin. Or you don't want to make it any worse. I'm with you. That's okay. some really good points. Uh, so how often should we be checking and updating the contents of a first aid kit that we've got? So I would say based on, you know, all the hundreds and hundreds of expiration dates that I've seen on various uh, medical supplies, two years is probably good. Check it when you get it. Um, depends on your source of, of who's sending you the bag. But even if something, quote, like a, a Tylenol or aspirin expires in a year, you can still wait that extra year. Now, if it's creams, you have to be more careful. You you need to watch those more closely. Anything that's liquid, um, also go by the expiration date. If it's solid or let's say it's a Band-Aid or gauze, and believe it or not, they make – they put – expiration dates on gauze. They even put expiration dates on an Israeli bandage, which is basically an ACE and a piece of gauze. It's and plastic. And there's no reason for an expiration date. Those are there. usually about five years, I think. Yeah, five years, which will be good in 200 years. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that's going to go bad on an Israeli bandage that you need to worry about. Um, so use some common sense, but, you know, take a look at, especially the medicines about every two years. Good to know. Uh, are there, speaking of medicines, are there any specific uh, over-the-counter um, types of medications that would be important to have in a first aid kit? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I happen to have my list here <laughs> article. Of, I, of an article that I wrote exactly on that subject. And uh, awesome. it was tailor-made. Of course, uh, pain re pain relievers are going to be very important. Uh, you're going to be overexerting yourself in a, in a disaster situation. So, uh, you know, you're going to wind up doing something to your back or having just, just muscle aches just from, just from working. And so things like ibuprofen are very useful to have. 
Um, it's a power, a popular pain reliever. It's anti-inflammatory. It reduces fever. Uh, used for a lot, a lot of different things. A great stockpile item, um, and uh, it, it's something that uh, you would you could take in dosages. The, the good thing is that you had, can control things. If you have just a little bit of pain, you can just take one every four hours. You can take up to four every eight hours if you absolutely had to. It just depends on, uh, you know, just what uh, what's going on and wh how, what pain we're talking about. Then, then there's a, a acetaminophen. Acetaminophen has the same uh, fever-reducing and pain-relieving uh, effect, but it is not an anti-inflammatory, but it's still useful to have because Advil, uh, because ibuprofen has a tendency to cause stomach upset in a number of people. So you might want to have some of that uh, acetaminophen uh, available. Uh, also, um, uh, now I mentioned aspirin here, not because I think people should be using it regularly. I think that uh, aspirin is something you shouldn't use. On, on anyone that's less than 19 years of age right. because I said of that. a neurological yep. condition called called Ray's syndrome that can cause uh, severe nerve damage. And so it's something you can't use for that, but it is very useful as a blood thinner. And so if you have somebody that is on Coumadin or some other blood thinner in normal times and uh, you're, you see that things are going, going awry and you're not going to be able to get this anymore. They're not going to be making Coumadin anymore because of World War III or whatever post-apocalyptic event you'd like to choose. Um, oh, thanks so much. Um, then then uh, aspirin would be an excellent uh, choice or it probably would be your only choice. Also, of course, you, it's useful in the case of a, a heart attack. You yes. would give somebody 325 milligrams of aspirin which would be for baby aspirin. If you take, some people take baby aspirin on a, a regular basis. So you would take four of them if somebody had uh, chest pain that was reminiscent of a heart attack and you're just not sure if that's what's going on. It, Make sure they chew them because your mouth starts absorbing them. Somebody with a heart attack needs that ASAP. So have them chew them. I know aspirin may have a coating on it. You know, the ones that are non-chewable are gonna taste absolutely horrible but they need the aspirin absorbing. Your mouth is really good at absorbing your mucous membrane. So start that right there. Also, if somebody is, you know, having a heart attack in front of you and they go unconscious and you happen to have the aspirin, what I'm going to do for him, and I'm not saying that everyone has to do this, I'm going to pre-chew this aspirin and I'm going to wipe that off my tongue and I'm going to pull his lower lip down and I'm going to swipe it in his mouth down there, <laughs> down here and on his cheeks so he can start absorbing that when I start CPR. So if I had the aspirin and he can't chew it, I'm going to do it for him. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really want him to live. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate it. That's, that's my little thing that I think, okay, what do yeah, I do? Other things uh, that we should use, uh, you, you could use is loperamide. Of course, there's a high likelihood of food and water contamination in the aftermath of a disaster. So, uh, Something like loperamide, which is a brand name Imodium in the in the states, uh, is something that's very very useful. It slows intestinal mobility, uh, motility rather, uh, and causes less water loss from the body and thus dehydration. And so that's very useful. Also, um, on, on the it, pe people with um, uh, di diarrhea also and stomach upset oftentimes have nausea, and so meclizine. 
uh, also known as Dramamine down here, uh, is, is very useful to have as an over-the-counter. Uh, on the opposite end, let's say if you're taking M uh, MREs, which are called meals ready to eat, they don't have a lot of fiber in them, and so they can cause severe constipation yes. in times of trouble. Matter of fact, MREs are sometimes called meals refusing to exit. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, basically, you could use ducosate sodium, which uh, over here is called colase as a, a stool softener. Some antibiotic cream is uh, very useful to have. It can be a cream or, or, uh, or ointment for right. um, Benadryl or diphenhydramine. That is a very useful antihistamine. And also, uh, interestingly enough, at higher doses is an excellent sedative and will, will help put you to sleep. Um, Actually, that's what's in Tylenol PM. It's 50 milligrams of Benadryl. There you go, of, just... of diphenhydramine. Yeah. And uh, hydrocortisone cream, of course, for uh, skin inflammation, dermatitis, and flakiness, itchiness, things like that. Uh, acid reflux, uh, things like calcium carbonate, magnesium sulfate, uh, omeprazole, cimetidine, ranitidine. These are all popular uh, brands of uh, uh, acid reflux and ulcer disease kind of rele acid relievers. Um, there's fungal medications, antifungal medications, clotrimazole, myconazole. These are useful. And, and multivitamins. I mean, in situations where you're not going to be able to assure complete nutrition, you want to possibly eliminate the possibility of, uh, uh, of a def vitamin deficiency. So have some multivitamins available. So that's what I would, that's, that's a, the, a good dozen uh, over-the-counter uh, medications or over-the-counter obviously not items. 100% complete but it's a good start <laughs> right no i would never have thought of the multivitamins that's a good uh, a good addition i would I would never have even thought about putting that into a first aid kit i like that and, and i would say and i would say also that you don't have to take them on a daily basis most of the time right. much of the vitamins that we take are just excreted in the urine our urine and, and, and oh, excrement gosh, you know uh so uh, I would say in situations where you know you're going to have a limited amount of vitamins, even though you stockpiled some, uh, I would pay, maybe uh, have my people take a multivitamin once a week or a couple of times a week just to make sure there are not a lot of deficiencies. That's a really good point about the MREs as well. Like, uh, a lot, of course, a lot of people will stockpile those, but nothing to offset the inevitable <laughs> result there too. So Yes, indeed. Yeah, so since we're on the, the topic of medications, we do have a quick uh, question in the live chat as well from Dave. Uh, he's just asking, does the the no aspirin to minors uh, rule apply to uh, all NSAIDs or is it just the aspirin? Just the aspirin. Just the aspirin. And I'm not sure why, actually. But, yeah, but yeah, it's it is, just the aspirin. It's just aspirin. Oh, good to know. All right, so we talked uh, a little bit about um, bandages and antiseptic kind of wipes for some wounds. Is there any uh, other wound care supplies that should be part of your standard first aid kit? And actually, so, just, just as before we get going on that, just to, uh, you had to settle an argument with my wife and I. <laughs> so, so, uh -oh. so this is actually, it's kind of a funny one. So on this to topic, we've always had the, the argument of clean and dry wounds versus like something like a polysporin or an ozonol or whatever. Uh, which, is there actually a benefit to those or are they more just like snake oil uh, in the in the industry there? I think they're more preventative. You know, some people don't clean their wounds real well. Plus, you know what? Honestly, wounds, all wounds heal better within a wet environment, a moist environment. It increases wound healing. Yes, new cells that are granulating in uh, love a moist environment. Right. And so if you put anything that is very... Uh, 
caustic what was like what? raw honey raw honey is the perfect little you know put that on your band-aid before you put it on just a little dab i have perfect. raw honey in all my kits I'm yeah a lot of did you win the argument <laughs> I, I i did <laughs> there's also the advantage of being bacteriostatic so you've yes. cleaned the wound you're preventing anything else from getting in yep because of the ph being so low absolutely that's the idea yeah it's perfect and and the great thing is all these other things have expiration dates raw honey we all know unprocessed raw honey has no expiration date forever so that's that's a prepper's dream to have something like that <gasps> Excellent. Yeah, we have quite a bit. Anything else for wound care at all? Oh, well, I mean, if we're talking about just other things, yeah, your butterfly bandages are really helpful. If you have a, a little cut that's kind of maybe on a joint, an elbow, a knee, um, something that's going to keep pulling apart, a Band-Aid isn't really going to help it heal real well. So those little butterfly bandages, or if you want to make the investment, Steri-Strips are a little bit more expensive. Um, they basically both do the same thing. Um, Butterfly bandages might be a little nicer though, because there is a spot in the middle that doesn't have tape, whereas Steri strips, the entire strip has tape. You know, give and take. It's now I will say this about about wound closure. If you want an inexpensive way to close a wound, you can use super glue. And uh, the true. medical super glue and the industrial super glue is really about the same thing. They're both cyanoacrylates, one's N butyl a cyanoacrylate, the other one's an octal cyanoacrylate. They're almost exactly the same, except that the medical version costs 50 bucks. And, yeah. and, it and stands, needs a prescription. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it does stand up a little better to being wet. But but basically, uh, the, I know that these are excellent ways to close wounds because they're used in thousands of emergency room visits in countries that don't have two nickels to rub together. Places like uh, Cuba, let's say. Uh, there are studies from Cuba that show that there's actually a lower infection rate if you use super glue on a wound than if you use uh, uh, a lot of the a lot of the other closure methods. And uh, as a matter of fact, putting antibiotic cream on a super glue closure actually degrades the super glue. So right. it's actually it would be a bad thing to use antibiotics. But you on, don't need it anyway because you've just sealed it. Yes. I mean, that's the whole point. You've just sealed the wound so nothing can get in it with the super glue. That's right. Of course, again, if you've got a wound that's on, you know, knuckles or wrists or, you know, something that's going to bend, the same thing's going to happen with the super glue as the Band-Aid. It's just going to, you know, open back up. So in that case, you definitely want to just move into the suture or the steri strips or the butterfly bandages. So another helpful thing for wounds is just to be able to see them. I mean, if you happen to not have electricity, which I'm sure you guys have experienced situations where, you know, the storm is bad enough. You can't see real well. Headlamps are really helpful when you've got to see what you're doing and then your hands are free, especially if you're trying to clean a wound or pick something out of a wound with tweezers. Having your hands free because of a headlamp is really good. So get a headlamp um, and some extra batteries. It's really helpful. Oh, fantastic. Yes, headlamps are Awesome for pretty much anything preparedness, but uh, yeah. definitely have a, have a place in, in when uh, performing medical care for sure. Yeah, especially if you're going to deliver a baby, <laughs> you need to see. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. That was almost um, my second. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, are there any specific items that are often overlooked, uh, but are critical for a well-rounded first aid kit? So we have some specialty kits um, that most people don't think to put in their kits. And, and I include some of those supplies in my bigger backpacks. But I would say uh, one of the most overlooked is probably dental equipment. Um, people, people, for some reason, kind of separate dental issues from trauma, you know, those kind of things. They, they just, for some reason, their brain doesn't say, oh, gee, let me do something in case we have to pull a tooth or you know, put a temporary filling in. So uh, we have dental equipment in case like 60, 70 years ago, the only way to solve a dental problem was to have the tooth removed. That's how they solved everything. If you went into a dentist and said, eh, 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 they said, okay, lay back, you know, we're going to take this tooth out. So that solves all dental problems. When you don't have electricity and you don't have a fully functioning dental system. So that's what we have. We have a kit. People a lot of times don't think about Let that. Something. Let me say something yeah, about that. You know, that that people don't realize that, you know, dental, dental supplies may not be that important if you're, you're, you're a few days without power due to a storm. Right. But if you really believe that there is going to be something that occurs that's going to take society to the brink and you're going to be maybe six months without power, you know, or, or longer. Right. Well, you know, dental issues become very, very important. Right. And the dental, dental supplies become, you know, could, could be life-saving in some circumstances. Right. Um, another thing is OB. I mean, we just talked about, you know, the headlamp for delivering baby. People don't think about that either. Like what if somebody gets pregnant and you say, oh, well, nobody's pregnant now, but you know, in, in a situation where your teenagers get a little older or your neighbors or people down the street have a baby, somebody's got to think about. Or as you say, the, uh, the lights go out for six weeks. What are you going to do to keep yourself busy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have right. babies. <laughs> make babies. Well, they're gonna make Someone babies. was going to go there. <laughs> there won't be enough to grow. They're like, you have to be out for 10 months in order for that one to come out. <laughs> so we got to grow it now. It's nine months. But yeah, o OB supplies. Uh, baby delivery supplies. So I do actually make a specific OB kit. And the wonderful thing is I found the exact kit, the sterile part of my kit, the big bag that's full of supplies that we unwrap is the same exact sterile kit that we used in the hospitals to deliver the babies. Same company. So I order a, most of my single medical supplies and some of my um, pre-made sterile kits from this company and they have the same one. So that's actually included in the OB kit. Uh, other things are specific to eye, eye injuries, like an eye shield, um, uh, eye wash. There's also something called a, a magnet and loop. And it's just a little instrument on one side, there's a loop and it can help pull out things that have gotten in the eye that are not necessarily impaled. If there's something metallic, the magnet side will help pull that out. So if you get, you know, metal shards in there, little flecks of things, it will pull them out. So that's a really helpful little uh, handy thing. Nasal injuries. You don't think of maybe a nasal speculum um, and nasal packing um, and nasal splint. So I have a whole nose kit for nose trauma. So it's just these specific things, you know, then you think about the ear, you might want to, you know, otoscope, you know, just things for different um, 
areas of the body that aren't necessarily in regular kits. And I would just say that also you ha you have to be you have to decide what you're concerned about as the society ending event. If, if it's going to be an infectious disease like a, a super Ebola or a super COVID of some sort with, you know, the, I understand that there's a lab in, in China that has developed a hundred percent fatal uh, a COVID virus. That's a hundred percent fatal to mice, humanized mice. As a matter of fact, apparently they have some DNA similarities to humans. So uh, if that's your concern, then you might need to get in, instead of, or instead of just gloves, you may need gloves and you may need masks or maybe a face shield, maybe maybe gowns, maybe aprons so to prevent splatter from people that might be sick and coughing or or uh, having body, bodily fluids touch you that might be very contagious. It's just what we need is a super COVID. Right, <laughs> right exactly. I, All right, let's, what, uh, what were they thinking? Why are they doing that? <laughs> that is a that is a great question. <laughs> my my kid just got home. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll shift gears a little bit and we'll go um, sort of away from the home type of uh, first aid kit and shift more into like an outdoor activities, a camping wilderness survival type of kit. So we're looking at maybe the possibility of some bigger trauma, some uh, more interesting type of. Um, injuries. What, um, what should we be including in a, in a kit like that? So again, just exactly what you're talking about, trauma, um, broken bones. So I would then add your hemostatic gauze. Um, there are a few varieties. They're all equal to me. Sealox, uh, Quick Clot, and Kaido Sam are all excellent products. They're all gauze-like, and they're basically used by putting it directly on the bleeding blood vessel pressure as hard as you can, get your whole body over it, three minutes minimum, at least three minutes. Yeah. may take a little longer. If you let go and you see the gauze soaking, get, get your hand back on there. Three, is, three minutes is not a magic number. People start bleeding at different times. If somebody is on aspirin or someone takes a lot of ibuprofen, um, there are blood thinners um, out there that people are taking. You know, so, and also if someone consumes a lot of alcohol, they also have bleeding issues. So, you know, you may have to keep it on. So hemostatic gauze, you want to add more gauze. There's something called compressed gauze. It's little bitty squares. There's tons of it. I think it's like 12 feet by four inches. Again, you can stuff that in the wound to help with um, bleeding if it's not too, too bad. Israeli bandages or pressure bandages. There are different, you know, brand names, but everyone pretty much knows the emergency bandage, also known as the Israeli bandage. That comes in four inch and six inch. Four inch is, you know, fine for smaller wounds. Six inches is good for any size wound. So um, I put both in our kits. Um, then you want to think about um, irrigation. You might want to add a syringe, a 60cc syringe for cleaning that wound after it stopped bleeding. Um, again, that's super, super helpful. More sterile gauze because you, these are going to be dirty wounds and you really need to put sterile gauze on top of a wound um, that's open or dirty. If you're talking about broken bones, then we're talking about maybe having those shake and break ice packs, ACE bandages. There's something called SAM splint, which is a malleable splint. Uh, it's reusable. Uh, they tell you how to clean it. There's a 
a super great guide that I put in there that shows you how to bend this for arms and legs and hands and shoulder injuries and how to make it like a neck collar. But another thing you might want to have a neck collar unless you have one of these and then you can make a neck collar out of it. So Anything to stabilize uh broken bones, sprains, strains, so you can get to where you need to. And as Amy says in, in our book, the Survival Medicine Handbook, we we have diagrams of exactly how to place these yes. for different types of injuries. And we also talk about the materials that you would need to cast, uh, you know, broken bones and, and the process by which you would actually right. do that using right. either the, uh, the, uh, synthetic or the uh, plaster of Paris uh, cast material. Also outdoor things I would think about like bug bites. So I would want some sting relief pads. Um, there's various ones, anything that'll numb the itching of, of bug bites. Cause those can be really bad, whether it's, you know, ants or mosquitoes or whatever it is, wasp, but whatever is hurt you, you want to help numb that up. So get something uh, with some numbing medicine to, to help that. Um, and then, you know, again, outdoors, you don't know if it's going to be light or day. Half the day is, is dark, you know, a light source. So, you know, get a headlamp with some extra batteries on it because injuries can happen anytime. You know, someone gets up to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. and they trip over a log they didn't see, you know, and now they've got something that's hurt. So that's light sources. Yep. Always with the light sources. <laughs> <laughs> the light's important. No matter what yeah. the scenario is, but especially in a medical type of scenario where you're providing first aid, you got to be able to see what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so an individual that has um, some kind of a special medical condition, whether it be um, like a certain type of medication they need or, or something else along those lines, um, what would you suggest um, supply-wise? Um, 90 day supply, 180 day, uh, anything specific that people could start um, focusing on for, for building out into their kits? Gosh, as much as you as, as much as you possibly I, can handle in I terms mean, yeah, of Yeah, if they want to start off, you know, if you want to do goals, you know, it's like food storage. You know, everyone's like, oh, I need to have two years. But when you first buy your first container of food, like you're not thinking two years, you're thinking, okay, five days. Okay, now I'm gonna do two weeks, now I'm gonna do a month. You have to build up gradually. So I, I hate to overwhelm people. So yeah, it's like 30, 60 days to start and then just build. If you get that, like you can check a box off rather than having this really long goal. And you're like, I can never get there, but you make yourself little goals along the way. It's not, I don't know if you guys like this, but I always like to play school and whatever I did, I like to check things off. So if I have more check boxes, I'm very happy. <laughs> so start <laughs> off with low and then build it up and you can keep checking them off. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, is there any certain way that you guys would um, organize a first aid kit for, uh, for ease of access or like a, a different way of like certain priorities within a kit? So I have one, uh, I have my big backpack, which I, have organized a certain way um, that would take us too long to go over, but I have this trifold bag. Um, you want to have a bag that three, allows you to compartmentalize. Yeah, this has three different sections. So generally, uh, this is called my medium bag. So what I put in the front um, are things that you would need like first. So your gloves, your mask, your hand sanitizer. Um, I put in the, the irrigation syringe. Um, I put the wipes in there. 
in the second section, I put the honey in there also. And, and honey is also, by the way, good for low blood sugar. In the second section, I put all the instruments and all the trauma supplies. So and then you have your tourniquet, which I don't know. We got off track when we were talking about that. The tourniquet, besides the hemostatic gauze and the Israeli bandage, that's your three important things for bleeding. So I put the tourniquet, the hemostatic gauze, uh, the compressed gauze. I put the chest seals. Um, again, all the instruments in there. And I also put the um, uh, the moleskin, which, you know, is a secondary thing. I put the uh, steri strips, which, again, is, you know, after you've cleaned it and stopped the bleeding there. And then the back part, I put the SAM splints. I put the ACE wrap, the triangular bandage, the mylar, the and all the gauze. Every gauze in there and, and anything else I put in there. <laughs> I was like... So so that's how I really organize it because the last thing you're going to do is cover the wound and also put my tapes back there. So anything that you're doing after that. And it depends on how many compartments you actually have. Right, how big. You can specialize each module depending on the amount of space that you have available. So that's one thing that, that you can do. The other thing I do is the kit that we carry in our car. I took a black marker and this is not the kit, but I have, I have it on my kitchen table. I actually wrote on the canvas that you just saw in permanent black marker, exactly what's in there. Gloves, masks, hand sanitizer, where the band-aids are with, you know, tourniquet. So if somebody else opens up my kit and needs to take care of me, they can look at this and know exactly where everything is. Oh, I need the tourniquet. Okay. I see it's in this zipper pack. So I open that up. So I do that. I know it kind of ruins your kit, but for me, if somebody else is friendly for them and they have to take care of me, it, it means everything. I have to write on my kit. I'll write on my kit. Well, even in a really bad situation with uh, high adrenaline flying everywhere, having that reminder right in front of you right. could be worth everything, right? You, you could, right. instead of flipping through trying to find it, you know exactly where it is. It's written right there. I right. think that's a fantastic idea. I don't think it's ruined anything. <laughs> and, and that's awesome. Of, I also always attach, um, I think we're going to talk about CPR um, masks, but I always attach a CPR mask to the outside of kits so that nobody even has to open it because that's like, so like now, you know, I need this now, yep. like somebody stop breathing. I can't yep. be going through zippers and trying to pull things out and look for, I need this right now. So I attach those CPR masks if they're included in a kit on the outside of kits. Yeah. Let's touch on CPR masks really quick. What, um, what should we be looking for in a, in a CPR mask or what are some main differences? Well, I mean, there are the 50 cent $1 ones that you get on eBay, then you can buy like 50 of them. Yeah. They're actually not too bad. Honestly, I've opened them up and you would think the plastic would be like, um, saran wrap, like super, super. It's really not, it's not, it's not that bad. If I, if I have to do it, I'm fine with those. And they have a little mouthpiece. They do work. Now, could you use that a hundred times? No way <laughs> that thing's getting thrown away. You know, it's, even if it's in a prepper situation, there's no way I'm trusting that barrier a second time, but first time it's okay. You know, then you have the ones in the plastic containers that are about this big. Again, you're upgrading quality. Um, and you're upgrading thinking, the, the level of protection. Yeah. Thinking, also. you know, prepper wise. Yeah. There's unlikely to be some kind of tear rip or, or seam issue between the mouthpiece and the plastic, you know, that's, that's covering the barrier. So, you know, as you go up and those are 
basically the two. There's the cheap ones and then the ones in the plastic container. I mean, the importance of the CPR mask is not just to prevent the transfer of bodily fluids, but also to decrease that the sense of paralysis that occurs when you are right. making that decision Am I going to intervene and right. put my mouth on that person's mouth? On someone you don't know. And and that is actually, I think we were going to talk about this too. That's actually why they stopped asking for people to do breaths. It didn't have anything to do with survival of the person being better. It had to do with the bystanders um, hesitancy because every minute you hesitate is a 10% higher risk that the person's going to die every one minute. So the person's like, should I, shouldn't I? Oh, well, they look clean. Well, they don't look well. Their clothes are kind of dirty. I don't know. Did I meet this person? You know, all of this stuff. And every minute's going by and nothing's happening. So they say, just don't do the breaths. So the people will jump in faster because the main thing is getting those compressions and doing them at 100 to 120 per minute. You know, singing, if you know the song, you know, Staying alive. Staying alive. Staying alive. But, right, right, right. Just as fast as you can. <laughs> the problem is they're going to have to find a new song that does that. But how many people remember Yeah, because the young, young kids don't alive, know. We're right? going to have to have another song with a better beat. But it's, you know, 100 to 120 times. Um, but so that's why they did the no breasts. Now, if you know the breasts and you're by yourself, it's 30 compressions, one breath. 30 compressions, one breath. If you're two people, it's 15 compressions and then one to two breaths. If you can get two breaths in, you know, nicely and deeply, that gets some oxygen in there and then that person can start pumping again. Um, but if you're by yourself and you don't really know this person, you want to put your mouth on there, just do the compressions. Right. It's so, so important. So they really stop the breaths because they want people to not hesitate. Interesting. So I had no idea that's why they stopped it. Yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with you know, better survival. They just said people are not doing CPR because they don't want to put their mouth on there. Let's tell them they don't have to. If they at least do this, the, the person has a higher chance of living. If someone does CPR, they have, I think it's a 20 to 30% higher chance of, you know, sorry, two to three times hmm. higher chance of survival. Like you're really saving a life probably. I mean, unless it's just a massive heart attack and there wasn't anything that can be done anyway. Um, one thing I will say is they say to call 911 first, and I understand what they're saying, but I'm not going to sit on the phone and repeat and spell the street name while this person in front of me is literally going brain dead because the person on the phone didn't understand when I said Stanford Street, you know, so... If you have a phone, put it on speaker and set it down and get to your business and speak if you can, you know, because they need to send somebody, but don't wait for the ambulance and don't sit there on the phone. You need to put that on speaker and get it off of you. You need to get going. Never That's a good wait. point. Every, every second matters, right? It has to do That's with true. bleeding also. Again, you'll always see the trauma instructions. Call 911 first. Well, if I see blood pumping out of him, I'm not getting on the phone and speaking again I'm here. I'm there. You know, this is my social security number. This is when I was born. You know, they ask you all these ridiculous questions. Well, what happened? Dude, they're bleeding to death. Just get here. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put them on speaker, but I'm going to take care of the bleeding because every drop of blood carries oxygen, keeps the brain alive. And I really like, he's pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, will say, I will say this, that 
I, I think a lot of people don't realize the speed at which you lose blood mm. from a major artery. If your femoral artery is transected or is, is torn, then you are losing about 600 cc's of blood a minute yep. from a wide open femoral artery uh, rupture. And uh, basically, with, even if the ambulance arrives within five minutes, you may already be almost beyond the level of being able to be helped by even modern medicine. Yep. Good to know. Darius had a good point. Be prepared to be exhausted afterwards. The burn. I mean, can you think about mm -hmm. it? I mean, how many reps is anyone doing a day? I mean, he lifts weights. I don't lift weights. If I had to do CPR, I mean, I'm a strong woman, but man, I don't know how many I'm going to be able to do to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you have, 10 minutes, dude. <laughs> no, I listen, I keep the AED right by our bed. I have one of those um, oxygen generators right by our bed with, with a mask and a, hey, and a nasal old, cannula. I'm old, but I'm not frail, I have the okay? I have the aspirin taped to the AED. The aspirin's taped to the AED. I also read a long, long time ago. I have no idea if it's true or not. I don't care. I'm going to do it. Cayenne pepper extract. I had that liquid also taped next to the um, aspirin. So he's going to get two droppers full of cayenne pepper extract. Although that might actually bring him back. Going, <laughs> <laughs> like smelling salt. Never you know? mind. Never mind. <laughs> I have, but that's I have fantastic points. That, that just ready. laying things out ahead of time and having it organized and ready to go instead of having that uh oh moment, I got to deal with something right now and trying yeah. to find it. Yep, that's fantastic that's to have it all organized and just ready. Yep. Tape the aspirin to the outside of the AED and keep it in your I room, like that. your bedroom. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's good. This guy, Darius. Hi, Darius. Did CPR for 18 minutes. Wow. <gasps> oh, you're a hero. That's so awesome. Wow. Man, that's that's a long that time. Is, you know that's what? a long time to do it. Seriously. He's one of our uh, panelists as well. That's yep. incredible. You go, Darius. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of Amy dance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. So, cycling back around to the uh, the expiration dates uh, topic, um, common first aid supplies. Um, how can we ensure that the items are still effective when we need them? Well, uh, I mentioned this uh, before, actually before the show uh, to to the panelists, but there has been certainly controversy regarding when uh, when to throw away these expired medicines and this this controversy and this dilemma is not just for an individual in their household but it's it, it's a problem for an entire country i mean in the united states there are tens of millions of dollars and tens of millions of doses of various medicines that are stockpiled in the national medical strategic stockpile and these are meant to be used in peacetime emergencies or, or in, in national disaster emergencies. And I know that the military is wasteful and, you know, they pay, pay you know, $10,000 for a hammer or, or a toilet <laughs> these days. But, but, but even they realize that, you know what, there may be some waste going on here when an expiration date is reached and the forklift comes out and out goes $50 million worth of a particular drug. And so the Def Department of Defense, to their credit, instituted something called the Shelf Life Extension Program. And the Shelf Life Extension Program 
evaluated 122 different medicines that are used by medical providers in in disaster situations common medicines some some for uh, heart issues some antibiotics things like that and they found that 88% of medicines that are in pill or capsule form are completely potent anywhere from 2 to 12 years beyond their expiration date and i think that the ones that were 2 years beyond their expiration date we're only two years beyond their expiration date when that lot of medicines was evaluated. And so these medicines stay completely potent. They're not dangerous. You don't, uh, as I mentioned to the, the, the panelists, uh, they, you don't grow a horn in the middle mm -hmm. of your forehead by taking them. And they are something that from a standpoint of a, of a, of a preparedness st standpoint, they're certainly worth keeping around even beyond the expiration date. Yep. And because let's face it, if you believe that something is going to happen, that's going to take away modern medicine, then that means it's going to take away those that manufacture modern medicines as well. And so whatever you happen to have with you in your possession is basically all you're ever going to have. And so it makes sense to keep some of that medicine a little bit longer, you know, just to make sure that, you know, that you're not lacking if in times of trouble. So I also just want to emphasize that there are not medicines that turn poisonous or toxic to a human being when they're taken. They're going to lose effectiveness, but they're not going to change their chemistry and now kill you. But they're dangerous and you'll see that on the internet because if you need that medicine to be effective for your heart issue or your diabetes or whatever it is, and you take less effective medicine, your condition may worsen or, or not get better. So that's why they're dangerous. But if you take, you know, a, a ampicillin that's 30 years expired, it's not going to like, uh, you know, now kill there, you. There are, I will, <laughs> say, I will say this, Amy, that there this are some, may not work. And you Amy know? knows that there are some medicines that do show when they are when they are going bad and one of them is aspirin aspirin when it goes bad it turns the again white not light. not toxic but just right they not really effective not, anymore not really effective but but they actually develop aspirin develops a sort of vinegary or ammonia like yeah, smell smells like vinegar to me. when it gets old yeah so that's one thing you, you should know i had all a bottle that was like 20 years expired and well, what I do is I use it for flowers. Like put it in the water. And when you cut flowers and you put them in a vase, it helps to keep the water running through the flowers, keeps them fresher. So I use my old aspirin for that. And I wanted to just say that what I said about medicines in pillar capsule form did not apply to medicine that is in liquid form. Right. So insulin, um, amoxicillin elixir for children, let's say. Lung inhalers. Lung inhaler, inhalers. Inhalers. Yeah. Nasal inhalers. These, these yep. things do lose their potency much faster. And, and that expiration date does mean something in those circumstances, right. not that day. Cause the day is absolutely mm. arbitrary. The, the actual expiration date, which by the way, wasn't required in the United States until the year 1979 uh, is only means that it's the last day that the company certifies hundred percent potency of the medicine in question. So, you know, you still, it's still good after the expiration date, just not very long after the expiration date right. compared to medicines in pill or capsule form. Right.
it's really good to know. Awesome. Is there uh, any specific training that uh, you guys would suggest uh, individuals um, look into or attempt to acquire? You want me to say? You, you can say. It. All right. Well, you wrote that course, part. You wrote you that know, part of the book. Municipal <laughs> municipalities uh, in in most most areas will offer uh, cert cor courses, which are basically first responder courses. Right. Uh, these are are useful for the community and are useful for the individual as well. So that's something that I think would not be a bad idea. Uh, Red Cross offers CPR classes. Uh, the American College of Surgeons offers a Stop the Bleed classes. Oh, we're, we're certified instructors Stop for Stop the Bleed. The bleed. Instructors, yeah. yeah, they have thousands of them across the country. And, uh, and you'll find that uh, there are just a lot of these uh, classes that are available that are or specialty classes that are for wilderness survival. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of these are really very good classes by, you know, by experts in the field. And uh, I, I would just say that it's possible that there's some variance with regards to the quality of, of the training involved. Yeah. It just depends on who's teaching. Awesome. You guys offer some DVDs as well, correct? Yes. They're, yeah. They're not DVDs anymore. It's a USB because I stopped making DVDs because every player had like different files that it would read and not read. And I was getting frustrated by trying to find the file that would work on everyone and they didn't work on everyone. So I was like, nope, no more USBs. Everyone has a computer with a USB. Even the televisions have USB ports now. So everything's on a USB. <laughs> Amy, if I dated myself a bit by using DVD as an example. <laughs> oh, good to know. And that's uh, attainable at uh, store at doomandbloom.net? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. Uh, did you want to talk about the uh, the fish mocks and touch on that? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to say that... Uh, Bri uh, bri briefly, though. Not Briefly. your not your whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a rant involved. Well, shorten it. <laughs> All right, I'm, short, I'm shortening the rant. All right, all right. So this is the deal. If you if you know or recognize me at all, it's probably because of my writings and videos and stuff regarding medical preparedness. And and I'm not talking about uh, I'm talking about a long term disaster situation where the medical infrastructure is broken down. And that's that's our main focus. And so I was the first licensed physician to write about what happens if there are no antibiotics available in times of trouble. And I had uh, basically seen the uh, History Channel program called After Armageddon. And in After Armageddon, a, a paramedic and his family tried to survive a post-apocalyptic landscape. In, in the show, the paramedic actually developed a minor injury, which he soon recognizes becomes infected. No one, however, has antibiotics. And so this trained professional just watched himself worsen and he died indeed a short time later. So basically I decided that I would check and see what was going on with regards to options for people that might save, prevent, maybe avoid some preventable deaths. And having been around uh, the aquarium hobby and also ra even raised tilapia in ponds, I knew about some antibiotics that were available for fish without a prescription. I decided to check these out and I found about a dozen appeared to be identical to those used in humans. And these few were unusual in that they were available only in human dosages. Even though they were meant to treat your pet guppy, 
they were available only in doses that a 180-pound adult human would be able to use, would, would normally use. Right. Uh, they even had the identical numbers, letters, and colors on the capsules as the human versions that were indeed made by human antibiotic companies. And so after further research, it turned out they were exactly the same. They were identical, just redistributed in different containers for the pet fish and the pet bird hobby. We also have a parrot. <laughs> now, that was a huge benefit having these available. I start. I wrote an article that ended up in Survival Blog in 2010 telling people to be sure to get a supply of these fish antibiotics. And, it, and, and today, I'm sure that there are people in your audience that indeed have some of these in their medical storage. Now, this was a, a great benefit to the survival medic to have things like that, especially the people that are responsible for large mutual assistance groups because you didn't need a prescription for them and you can buy 500 of them at a time if you needed to. But in the, in the United States on December 14th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued warning letters to manufacturers and distributors that they were in violation of federal law by offering these to the public. And they included companies like Chewy.com, Kraft Drug, Aquanest, uh, Midland Vet, uh, Valley Vet, California Vet Veterinary Supply, a number of others. And so if you haven't figured it out yet, the FDA has it in for preppers, has been looking for a reason to limit our ability to get antibiotics for our medical storage. And the way they got around it this time is that they claimed that the meds used for fish and birds were never registered for approval as veterinary medicine. Therefore, the FDA is calling them new animal drugs despite their being around for at least 25 years. And the agency says that using them outside of the direct supervision of a doctor or veterinarian is bad and indeed you must throw them away or you should throw them away. Right. And so this is a, a problem. You, now these companies have to actually make an application for these new animal drugs, quote unquote, to be approved for, by the FDA. And it's never going to happen because it costs a lot of money to do it. And the, certainly the outcome is uncertain. And it's going to be a big issue. It may not sound like a big issue in normal times, but when the you know what hits the fan, it's going to be little consolation to, let's say, a parent that has a sick child or a woman with a bacterial infection after childbirth or a member of your family who has an infected wound. So this, this is an issue. Now, the medicines that, that are involved include all the Fishmox products, Aquamox, Aquamox Forte, Aquacef, Aquacef Forte, um, Aquacipro, Aquadoxy, Aquazole, Aquazithro. So these are uh, the majority of the antibiotics that I had identified as being identical to human antibiotics you know, all those years ago. So anyhow, all I can say is I, it makes me wonder who blew the whistle on this uh, tool for the survival medic and, and who stands to gain from the inability of preppers and homesteaders to get antibiotics without going through a doctor. Well, there are companies now, I'm not going to make any accusations, but there are companies that are offering packs of various antibiotics to people who will fill out a prescription and go through a doctor. And they certainly do stand to benefit. I'm not saying that they have anything to do with this, but somebody obviously blew the whistle and the lack of antibiotics is now one, one weapon less that we have, or at least the family medic has in times of trouble. Yeah, it's unfortunate it's gone that way, but uh, we'll just have to keep moving on and find another resource, I suppose. 
That's yes. right. There yeah. are you, you can you can go to Mexican pharmacies and maybe Indian pharmacies. Uh, mm -hmm. The only problem is the quality control. I don't know. I don't have right. any experience with it, so I can't, with them, so I can't tell you whether it's a it's an option or not. So I I have maybe sort of a bit of a follow up question on that. Not not so much the fish mock stuff, but Dave asked the question, and it was something that I uh, I had as well. So other than occasionally skipping a dose, how do you stockpile prescription meds? So I'm 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 on a prescription medication. I, I go to my doctor. He gives me six months worth of prescriptions but my pharmacy will only fill it one month at a time. So I have to keep going back every month to get my prescription, even though I have it for six months. So um, my idea and what I've recommended, and I believe you put this in the book too, yeah. um, is to fill your prescription and ask the pharmacist, when can I come back? Because they're never going to make you wait to the last day when you take the last pill to fill it. But each insurance company is different. They may let, may let you come back five days early. They may let you come back seven days early. But every day they let you come back early are storage pills. Now, I don't want you to save that old bottle and start open up the new bottle. Go ahead and take the old one because remember, new in, old out. So you want to finish that bottle you are taking. But mark or set your phone an alarm to go get that medicine. And when you pick up the next one, seven days early, mm -hmm. You got seven pills now extra that's going to be left in the new bottle and you ask them when can i come back and refill this yep. again if they do it seven days early now you've got literally 14 yep. pills left in that so you keep doing that every single time and that's how you accumulate you end up with these newer bottles that you haven't even okay. used yet and you're still using the old stuff but you have to ask them because they know I went back to our pharmacy just a few days ago and said, when can he fill it? And, he, and they're like Saturday. So okay. they knew, they know exactly when they're allowed to push the refills through and, you know, they'll notify us, Hey, your refills are, are going through next week. You know, is there any changes? So set your phone alarm, get it on that day. Because if you wait a day, now that's another pill that you can't save. Because remember, your new stuff you're saving, your old stuff you're taking, and eventually you're going to have bottles. So do that every single time. Make it a routine. You'll be surprised at how fast they pile up. Uh, I've done exactly that um, with my medications. I actually took advantage of the automated renewal system um, at the pharmacy. I found out that you could actually call that, and the odd time, it would actually renew it sooner than the, if you went in and saw a person in person because they know what the rules are. The automated system didn't always know, and it would just sometimes magically it would go, yep, sure, renewed, come pick it up tomorrow. And nobody ever caught on, and they haven't right. yet. So hopefully yep. nobody is listening to this podcast that programs that automated <laughs> system. Ask, Just ask them. Say, worth, you know, worth a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Say, when, yep. just, it's a harmless question, and you know what? They know the answer. They have it in their computer yep. system, and there's no harm in them telling you, hey, yep. you can come pick this up You know, in 21 days or or 20 days or whatever yep. it is. And then you do that and you have these extra pills. The it best that worked out for me with the automated system was three weeks early and I was tap dancing. Wow. Yeah. One of the other things, one of the other things you can do at the pharmacy is ask them what the expiry date of those are. It's not written on the, the 
you know, 28 pills you're being issued, but the supply bottle will have that and they will happily give you that information. Yes, they will. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Oh, great point. And then you can ignore it because they're capsules. hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Thanks for the information. I don't care about, yep. but no, it's always good to know, to know what, the drug company says, you know, because what if they gave you something they've had sitting around? I mean, I don't know if it's not a, a, a medicine that they use often. Maybe it's been sitting on their shelf and maybe it is expiring in three months instead of three years. You know, it, it's good for us to know this stuff. Then you say, OK, well, you know, how long has it actually been? It's, it's good to know. I, I think it's important information. And it just but, helps uh, us with stock rotation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Always. Speaking of stock rotation, um, I think there was a little question in with the expiration dates. I just want to adjust it real fast. Best way to store your medical supplies is exactly like your food. Out of light, out of heat, out of humidity. The same thing. The way you store your, if you store your food that way, just put your medical equipment right next to it. Dry, cool, dark. Yep. Oh, good to know. Right, Scott, I think you had one quick question. Yeah. One of the topics you guys discuss in your book is uh, cleaning and repurposing a lot of medical supplies. We've come to a world where everything is single purpose or single use disposable. I'm old enough that I remember bag valve masks that we cleaned between patients. Uh, uh -huh. You guys in the book, you know, discuss, discuss, using a pressure a pressure cooker to steam semi-autoclave uh, items. Uh, I look at any potential disaster scenario as a resource-limited situation where, yeah, if I have to reuse a tourniquet, I need to clean and sterilize it. If I need to make sterile gauze from, uh, you know, from old T-shirts. So I think that's an important skill to add to our, uh, yep. our discussion. Yep. Absolutely. Or sheets. This is what I have cut up. I had used this in one of the videos I did on wrapping. I think I'd use this on a head bandage in one of the videos. Now, interestingly enough, you can actually take material like this, like cut up sheets and you can buy, um, uh, kaolin powder and you can impregnate oh, yeah. them, uh, the, the sheet with the kaolin powder and make your own hemostatic bandages. And I think we think we have I did, an article did on that, that in an article. Yeah. Okay, we should probably for do American a, survival. Should do, should a, do a, a video on it. Yeah. That was uh, for American survival guide. Uh, a magazine is no longer in existence. I don't think. Yeah. Kale and super cheap. Yeah. So you can buy. And a that's what's literally stuck a, to Sealox gauze. So, so you can make the, make a lot of these things, improvise a lot of these things and, and things like triangular bandages have, like a dozen different uses. You can oh, use yeah. them as a sling. You can use them to wrap a head injury. Oh, so many uh, things. All, and that, so that's, yeah, these things could, are, you could actually very, make a tourniquet out of it. Very inexpensive. It can be used as a tourniquet with a stick or a pen. Hold gauze you know? on. I mean, so, so many so various things. Hold a splint in place. So there, there are a lot of versatility that, that goes, goes along with this. Is that now, was that answering his question? No, no, that was not answering his question. That was a, a side topic. But he was talking about um, repurposing, sterilizing, cleaning. Oh, um, yes. Oh, well, there instruments, oh, okay. syringes, right. things that we normally throw away. Hard reality. Okay. Yes. Hard reality. You're going to be reusing things that you would never think of reusing. Right. So you're going to going to you're going to be suturing 
a wound closed and you'll find that you have half of the suture right. still left. Right. And you're going to, you're going to take that suture and you're going to put it in some antiseptic solution of your choice and for, for a period of time, and you're going to reuse it if you need it. Yeah. Like and, a Cydex solution. They're not making this stuff anymore. Yeah. So you're using base, whatever you happen to have at the point in which society hits the, hits the, hits the, you know what hits the fan. fan. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you have for the rest of your life, perhaps, you know, and so you're going to have to reuse a lot of that stuff. If you have a pressure cooker, you can definitely use a 15 PSI, uh, uh, I think is uh, what, what we use it for 20 minutes or so. Yeah, about useful. 20 minutes. And uh, you can redo your instruments that way. You can redo dressings that way. Uh, you can also... Wait, wait, I want to mention you, wait, something. No, wait, before, I'm going to forget this. Okay. I'm Sino. Okay. So... Before, so Go ahead. The, the um, Amer American uh, Wilderness Society did a study in which they made a soup of seven different organisms mm -hmm. and they dipped instruments in it. And then they used these UVC wands, ultraviolet C uh, uh, wands, and they hung up these instruments and they basically passed them for about 45 seconds all, all the way around it. And they found that it actually killed almost all of the, the instruments. If, if you used an antiseptic clean, if you cleaned it with antiseptics first, and then use the UVC wand, then you could use it immediately and it would be essentially sterile. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. So um, what I was going to mention is my first job within a hospital, Why the first year I started nursing school, was uh, in the CSR department, Central Supply. And um, one of our responsibilities was going to all the nursing stations and gathering up all the equipment that they had just used, all the instruments, and we would bring them down and we'd get out the hippoclins or the cydex and we would scrub them and then we would scrub them with hot water and then we'd scrub them again with this, the liquid and then soak them and then rinse them again because you don't want that on there and then we would place them in autoclave bags depending on the size of the instrument you know some of the instruments were pretty big but these autoclave bags will self-seal within the sterilizer or the pressure cooker because we'd have big giant autoclaves with like big giant doors and you know, like a vault. Um, and then these bags now have indicators with the bag. We would have to stick a strip of the indicator in the bag and it would turn a color. I think it would turn blue or greenish um, when it showed that the sterilization process had been completed. So if it had the amount of pressure for the amount of time, then that would turn and the bags would self-seal. Um, you can buy those on Amazon, like cheap. Like I have 200 bags, the size that I can fit instruments in. So when I have to reuse them, I also have a gallon of the Cydex. It may not be the brand Cydex. I have two or three different ones, but anyway, a, a brand of that and then putting it in the bags. And then, you know, it indicates right there if it's sterile. And then it, since it's self-sealed, now you can put those anywhere put them back in your medical bag, put them in your home supply, whatever. And you know for sure that they're sterile again. So that that's really handy. Those autoclave bags. Oh, fantastic. Oh, oh, one more thing. I also have this thing that looks like a little toaster oven. 
that pulls down that has UV lights in it that is actually used in beauty supply store or beauty supply um, places where you go get your nails done or your eyelashes or whatever they're doing. They have little instruments they use for each customer and they clean them and then they put them in these little UV lights. And again, it looks like a toaster oven. You just pull down the top. I got that on eBay. I mean, again, it was like super cheap. I bought that during COVID because I thought if I have to reuse masks or gloves, you know, a sterilizer is not going to help me. It's going to disintegrate them. I can use this UV light and at least, you know, kill something. Of course, I had thousands of masks at that point. So I was okay. <gasps> oh, awesome. Any final thoughts or anything else that uh, maybe we haven't covered about first aid kits or training that uh, you'd want to get out to the listeners? Um, no, I, I think I'm good. I mean, I, I saw a question was like five herbs I want to grow. I mean, I, the things that come to me are rosemary, lavender, tea tree, clove, I think, um, clove is kind of difficult to grow, but it would be great. Um, now you just stop me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, eucalyptus, if you could, would be really helpful. Um, and chamomile. I think chamomile is really, really helpful. So those are probably my top five. Awesome. Um, I know we've discussed it on a previous show and we've touched on it a little bit in this one, but your guys' book, the survival medicine handbook, the essential guide for when help is not on the way fourth edition is a fantastic <laughs> oh, resource. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> absolutely should be in the library of every prepper yes. uh, in hard copy. It is a fantastic resource. Uh, and I, I feel we owe it to the listeners to just mention it here, that it's something that uh, they should be pursuing. So kudos to you guys for such an incredible resource. Well, we, Thank you. This this was our COVID project. <laughs> I, I found him one day pulling the old book apart and I was like, no, no. What are you doing? He's like, you know what I'm doing. Next thing I know, the whole dining room table is full of all the chapters. And the problem was. And we had to go through each chapter. And, and the problem was. do it. Is that when we finished write, rewriting the book. Remember, the third third edition is a six by nine book. It turned out that it was going to be 1,250 pages. And so this one is eight by 10 and a smaller font and smaller has, margins. <laughs> just has so, so much more information. Oh, yeah. The, mar the margins are terrible. I have so many words. It's hard to say. <laughs> Little just, bitty margins. <laughs> oh. There we go. Anyway, so so anyhow, we had to make the book actually physically bigger yeah. to to contain all the information that we put in it, and and we uh, we keep it up to date also. And it's it's one of those it's one of those books that it's it's just sort of unique in that it's just written with the assumption that something has happened. There you go. Something has happened and, you know, you're never going to see a doctor again. You're never going to be able to access a hospital again, that it's going to be you. The average person is going to be the highest medical resource left for the remainder of all time. And, and, and the book from the beginning of the, from the first page to the last page, never tells you to go to the hospital, never tells you to go to the doctor. That's a pretty unusual thing for a medical book. 
because it assumes they no longer exist. And even books like Where There Is No Doctor end a lot of their chapters with and go to the doctor and go to the hospital. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's an unusual book in, in that sense. So we wrote it specifically in that mindset. Right. And it's in that mindset that we've written are more than, gosh, what, 1,500 articles on our website at doomandbloom.net. All of those, I mean, the book, you have to buy the book, but these articles are all completely free, of course. And and, and our, our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family. I suggest anybody listening, uh, head over to store at doomandbloom.net and uh, grab a copy of the book because it is absolutely fantastic. And like Scott mentioned, it's a great resource and it should be on every prepper's uh, bookshelf for sure. Thank and you. I put a, and I put the uh, Amazon link to your author page uh, in the notes as well for the, uh, the chat. Thank you so much. It's very nice of you. Awesome. All right. With that, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? All right. Assemble yourself a basic first aid kit based on your personal needs. Uh, tell us something unique that you put in yours. Um, usually you can find your supplies for a customized first aid kit at like a safety supply store or wherever you choose anyways. Uh, worst case, you can buy a pre-made one. Uh, every year, Costco uh, sells one in the springtime uh item number is usually 911 plus the year so this one this year be like 911 um the bag alone is worth 30 bucks it's got all the uh the fold outs just like amy's bag there and it's you know good value for money um or uline.ca that's another place to get one so or rapid survival if he yeah. has any i, I got a few kicking around all right there, there you go <laughs> awesome there go. all right what do we got for upcoming events uh, I just threw a link in the uh, show chat as well for a local way to find a first aid course in your area. So uh, redcross.ca, it'll be a slash find a course. And of course, we've got the annual preppers meet coming up uh, July the 11th to the 14th. So if you check out the annualpreppersmeet.com, uh, we've been mentioning a fantastic event, tons and tons of like-minded individuals are going to be there. And uh, yeah, they've expanded this year to new grounds. So uh, bigger, bigger space, lots more uh, area for people to, uh, to camp out and check out. So if, uh, if you're around July 11th to 14th, it's definitely worth the check out. Early bird tickets are still available. So check out the website. And that's in uh, Desborough, Ontario. Well, Deal of the week. Uh, I found a great first aid box that you can use. Uh, it's a plain old ammo crate at Cabela's for nineteen ninety eight right now. It's on sale, and uh, link will be in the show notes. Awesome. Well, that I'll bring episode number two hundred and twenty eight of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, of course, your favorite podcast app. Uh, please submit a review. It does help other people find us. And again, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Alton and uh, Nurse Amy for spending some time with us this evening and uh, and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. It's always appreciated when you guys come out and uh, it's always one of our most popular shows. Well, thank you. We're very thank honored to, very asked to be on the show and thank you guys so much for what you do for the preparedness community. You guys are awesome. And I will uh, reiterate the, uh, the thanks for coming out. A ton of information, especially for a lot of our new listeners who are, are just getting going and looking for a way to get started. Uh, really good information. So we do record, record these shows live on YouTube. Uh, we're also on Facebook. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. Uh, that gives you an alert when we're going live. If anybody wants to reach me, you can reach me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca or I am frequently on our Discord channel. Scott can also be reached at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. 
And Dr. Alton, uh, do you guys have a, other than Doom and Bloom, do you have a contact info? Oh, you'll find us um, at not only doomandbloom.net, but you'll find our YouTube channel, uh, Dr. Bones, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. Our podcast is called the Survival Medicine Podcast. The uh, uh, Our Twitter is at Prepper Show. All of this can be found at the top of doomandbloom.net. All right. the little icons, you just click on them. Find the YouTube, the Facebook, and Instagram, it, our podcast. All of that is is very clickable. So just, just remember doomandbloom.net. There's there's the store. You can click on there to get to the store also, which is a separate website. Awesome. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. And you can also find me recording on Canadian Patriot Podcast, which is also on YouTube, recording Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. I uh, took over two groups on Gab.com, which is Ham Radio Canada and Homesteading and Preparedness Canada. Awesome. You can check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. As we wrap up another insightful episode of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, we want to extend our gratitude to our listeners for joining us on this journey of preparedness. Remember, the key to survival is knowledge and readiness. If you want to support the show and engage with our community further, consider signing up for our Patreon and joining our thriving community on Discord. Links are in the description. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. This is the Canadian Prepper Podcast, signing off. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.